Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You only want what's best for your baby. And so does BJ's. BJ's offers a variety of baby products that will take you from playtime to bath time to bedtime and beyond. Shop now through September 24th at BJ's for $3 off Johnson's, Aveeno, or Desitin baby products. Only the best will do when it comes to caring for your little ones and for parents, too. Give your baby that special care and save big at BJ's. Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. And here we are, in our resplendent glory. Indeed. (laughs) I'm John Ashton. He is the glorious Neil Michaels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for those of you who are listening just listening to the podcast and are not had to not found us on youtube the reason john laughs when he introduces me is at the bottom of our of the screen we put our names and every week i change it just to amuse john just so that you understand the inside part of this so this week i wrote neil who dat michaels and apparently he just saw it for the first time and that's why he's laughing <laughs> The funny part is we've been doing we've been talking back and forth for five minutes now, and he just now noticed it. So, hence the laughter. Okay, so I'm not that observant today. I'm sorry. On the one hand, I'm saying that so that it's a good laugh, and on the other hand, I don't want people to think you're crazy. <laughs> just sitting in your, sitting behind the microphone, giggling all the time. It's like, no, he hasn't started drinking yet. I think that ship has sailed, man. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, we have put together yet another stellar show for you. Indeed. Gil Caps from NBC and several other outlets will be joining us. He is an associate producer. He's the guy who sits in the tower between Johnny Miller and whoever the other announcer is and gives Mm -hmm. him all the statistics and tells people and, and tells people there and on the course what to do and how to do it and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a behind the scenes look at things and he has behind the scene quite a bit. So he'll be sharing a (laughs) bunch of that with us. I was back East. I hate that expression, by the way, now that I've moved to California, I realize everybody in California, when they go to the East coast says back East and everybody on the East coast, when they fly to California says they're going out West. I I don't know how those two expressions started. I would like them to stop immediately. Thank you. (laughs) I went back for my granddaughter's fourth birthday. Happy birthday, Layla. And we had a crab feast. You lived in Maine. I did. And you lived in other places in New England. So you will totally appreciate this. I need you to think in terms of lobster. But when you do a crab feast, whether you're in Maryland, Virginia, the Carolinas, Florida, Louisiana, any place that they're, that they serve whole crabs and you have to break them open and get the meat. Mm-hmm. The thing that I have always found interesting is that it's a lot of fun to do that. If you're digging through the crab and getting the crab meat, 
Oh, the little the little wooden hammer in the whole bed, man. That's the, fun. The hammer, That's... there's a little knife to crack it open, and then you usually peel it back and you get a big hunk of crab that you hold in your hand. The same applies for lobster. Mm-hmm. This is the part that I, after this many years of doing this, that it just occurred to me is really freaking weird. <laughs> when you dig in and you get a bunch of back fin crab meat, or if you're in Northern California, if you're doing it with a Dungeness crab, you get a big handful of crab meat or lobster in the case of New Englanders. Mm-hmm. You pull it out and you hold it up. And you say to people, wow, look at it, this big hunk of crab. Now, you don't do that with any other food. If I was sitting in Texas and I had a steak, I wouldn't cut a big piece, stick it on my fork, hold it up and go, look at this steak I got here. And yet we think nothing of holding up crab and showing everybody like we're like it's on parade. And then we don't share it with them. We just get the nods and get people to ooh and ah, and then we stuff it in our gullets. What does that say about us? We're, we're taking a big hunk of meat out. We're showing it as if we want the applause, not that the same other people you're eating with aren't doing exactly the same thing. And then we don't share it. We just eat it. Can you imagine being in Cincinnati and getting a bowl of chili and getting a big hunk of ground beef and beans and being like, look at my meat. It's just, it's quite strange. And I wonder how that started. If you're in Cincinnati. Your chili is dripping off spaghetti. Now. That's yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> but I mean, it does it does sound rather barbaric when you stop. You've done you you lived in Maine. You cracked oh, open lobster. Did you oh, not yeah. do the same thing? Oh yeah, I mean, you pick it, pick up the body. That's why I don't do it in public, man, because it's messy. But you right. pick up the body and you separate the tail from the body with the cracks and push the meat out through the the claws and it, no. <laughs> and did you at that point pull a hunk of meat out and be like, look what I got? Well, because you you accomplished something if you could get it out whole. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. And the bigger the hunk, the the more oohs and ahs you expect. And again, thank you very much for the applause. I'm going to eat this and not share it now. That's right. Exactly. This is mine, mine, mine. So I I know we have a lot of listeners that are tuning in internationally. I checked again. We have a bunch in the UK and Ireland and Mexico and um, Australia Mm-hmm. I, I would love for you guys to go to the, the at the approach shot on Twitter and let me know if you do this in your neck of the woods, because mm-hmm. I just find it after all these years of eating crab, I just now found it odd. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, we had a pitcher of beer in front of me and I stopped caring almost immediately. <laughs> Good. To so there you go. That was my odd observation. Five days in Maryland. That's the one thing I really observed. That's what I came back with. I have nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. Really, I, I, I thought for sure you were going to make fun of me. I for absolutely. I, I set you up to just make me look like an idiot and you're going to pass. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think you've done enough on your own. <laughs> my help. Thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate the pass. Let's, let's get to the meat of the show. Nice. We'll be right back. We are the approach shots. 
Hey, it's Neil, and I've connected with a bunch of you through social media, and a lot of you have commented that there's just not comfortable, great-fitting workout clothes out there for guys our age and with our body types. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about 10,000. 10,000 makes the highest quality, best-fitting, and most comfortable shirts and shorts for fitness enthusiasts and weekend warriors. I've been wearing their 7-inch interval shorts, which are their most popular, perfect for gym days, walking, or short runs. Their versatile shirt is my go-to workout shirt. Lightweight, breathable, and durable. I wear it when I hike and even at the driving range. This is serious workout gear for all types of workouts. Running, hiking, lifting, boxing, however you train, they have a shirt and short for you. And you always get free shipping, free returns, and a lifetime guarantee. Right now, 10,000 is offering listeners of The Approach Shot 15% off your purchase. Go to 10,000.cc and enter the code APPROACH to receive your 15% off. That's 10,000.cc. Enter the words 10,000, not the number, and the code APPROACH for your 15% off today. Texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Men, want to feel younger, stronger, leaner? You don't have to slow down after 40. Frank Thomas found the secret to staying in shape with the energy and drive of his 20s. Man, you look like you could still hit it a mile. I feel great, too. What gives? After 40, men slow down. It's harder to stay in shape. Why? Our free testosterone levels drop. It happened to me. And then I found Nugenics Total T. New Nugenics Total T is our most powerful man-boosting formula ever because it boosts your free testosterone and your total testosterone. Nugenics Total T helps provide even more energy, performance, testosterone, and muscle-boosting ingredients for even better results. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T, text GRIT to 321321. Samples are not available in stores. Well, wait. When are you going to do something about it now? I got to try Nugenics Total Tea. Text GRIT to 321321 for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. That's G-R-I-T to 321321. Oh, thanks for coming in in the middle of the hilarity. We are back. We are the approach. <laughs> I'm John Ashton. He is Neil. Who? Michael. Yeah. Aren't you glad that people don't get a chance to hear the stuff that we say before we actually hit record? Yeah. We've been giggling like a bunch of idiots for about three and a half minutes now. <laughs> we promised well, you another stellar and luminary guest. And we're not going to complain because they keep showing up. We're not sure why. <laughs> I think, I, I think at some point we have to we have to just stop saying that we're surprised by it. We're just, you know, our, our booker does a pretty decent job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't, don't hurt yourself, patting yourself on the back. Like I, I was, I, I, you know, I, I actually realized as soon as I said that I meant me, but um, still, gosh, darn, I'm good. <laughs> and today, today we have, not only do we have another person who has an Emmy award to their credit, but he actually showed up without it on a shelf behind his right shoulder, which we can't say about some other folks that we've had on the air. <laughs> Associate producer and extraordinaire golf man about town, Gil Caps is with us today. Gil, welcome to the show. John, Neil, thank you so much for having me. We'll see if I can keep your uh, your elite guest streak here uh, going by the end of CFI. <laughs> Or maybe you just—it's time to start a new streak with your next guest after me. No, don't don't say streak to John. He might take you seriously. Hey, we hey, don't, hey. Nobody needs to see that. <laughs> Man, we uh, 
I have to apologize. I have not read your book, but I have read other people's takes on your book, mm-hmm. um, which means I'm going to go get it now. You know, I, I did order the dollar ninety nine Kindle version. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Gil. Now you can go out to a nice dinner. Yeah. That's right. I, I I'll, I'll spend that forty cents wisely when I get. It. <laughs> but you want to talk about that first, or you want to talk about things generically with you? Uh, I, I'm going to let you guys lead the conversation. You know, I um, but that book, uh, the Magnificent Masters. Uh, Jack Nicholas, Johnny Miller, Tom Weisskopf in the 1975 cliffhanger at Augusta uh, that I wrote that came out um, 2014. And you can can still get a uh, hard copy, hardbacks and paperbacks and Kindles and Nooks and I, you know, off your iTunes, whatever you, however you want to consume it. Um, that was something that, you know, writing a book is something I always wanted to do, right? That was kind of a goal that I'd had. Uh, throughout my career, and there's so many great topics in in golf that still are out there to, to be tackled in book form, and, and that was one where, as a time in my life, where I had had the time, had some free time to um, you know to dive in on that subject, 1975, which you know at the time considered one of the greatest masters, if not the greatest masters, and one of the greatest golf tournaments of all time, you know, as time goes by, um, you know, those things kind of get lost in the, uh, to the cobwebs. Um, mm-hmm. People who were there and people who wrote about it and broadcasted kind of um, uh, retire or pass away. And, and I was fortunate enough to have the three main protagonists obviously still alive and, and still, um, you know, on their uh, on their A games as far as their uh, their minds and taking me back to that week and that time, um, which was unique in the fact that, you know, it was the three, if not the biggest names, the best players, the, the three players that had the most horsepower of anyone at that time. And think about it this day and age, right? How many times have we even had the two best players in the game at the time go head to head in the final round of a major, even the back nine of a major and have it end in this thrilling conclusion. Mm. No, not many. Not if, many even no. you think of one to that extent to have the three guys who are the three favorites going into that week and to be able to produce what they did. Um, it was like a play. It was like, uh, like theater that scripted theater, that, that final nine holes, in 1975 at Augusta Nationals, be able to go back in those backstories and talk about those players, uh, as well as the Masters in Augusta National. Lee Elder that week becoming the first black player to play in the Masters. It, it was such a rich, a rich time, a rich week, so many levels, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I've obviously got a lot of a lot of praise and a lot of positive feedback off of that book, which. Um, uh, it pleased me to know in because you know, all the things that I've done, you know, it's different when you're doing a book because it, it's all, it is, it's all you. Mm-hmm. It, it is all on you. It's, it, it's no, it's no team, right? There is, there is a, a me and team, but it's, <laughs> but it's all me and it's all I when you're doing a book. Like that. So, uh, uh, all these years later, extremely proud of that. And uh, we got to make sure you get a copy, John, and, uh, and I hope you, you'd enjoy it. Well, you know, what's, what's really interesting about golf and, to a certain extent about baseball too, is that there is a, 
a, a reverence for what has happened in the past that's brought the game to the point it is now. And when you talk about guys like Jack and you talk about the three guys, that doesn't get lost on today's fans because they recognize that those guys help bring the game to what it is now. And even though a lot of people who are listening to this weren't around to watch that or were too young to actually appreciate what happened in 1975, don't you feel like even if you're a young fan of the game, that you could go back and maybe watch some video clips of it and still appreciate it for what it was? Neil, you're right. There's a link back in golf in particular, uh, and it's similar to baseball, not as much in basketball or or football or, or, or hockey or right. soccer or some of the other sports, a link back to the history of the game and the, and the ones that came um, before uh, before this current time. I, the question is, you know, why is that? It's interesting because you'd think, you know, when you're watching a football game, you know, that maybe you'd hear during normal course of broadcast, you know, names like, uh, you know, Joe Namath or Johnny Unitas or Bart Starr or, or this and that. But right every week, you know, on a golf broadcast or uh, or somewhere, you, you can't go by without you hearing Jack Nicholas or Ben Hogan or Bobby Jones. I mean, it, it, it's constant. And uh, you've actually had this conversation uh, over the years with uh, Frank Navalo, who thinks, you know, it, are we do we talk too much about the past? Because as we get in this day and age and we're trying to attract uh, every sport is and every every business and industry is right. The these the the new generation, the folks who are uh, on the phones all the time, the folks that may not have a lot of uh, a lot of time to go back and delve into history. Or really even even want to care about who Bobby Jones was or, or Ben Hogan was. Do we focus back on those on those folks a little too much? And I think it's a balance because I think maybe sometimes we do, but other times it, it's important that link back to, to, to those players, because, you know, we forget how, how great they were and what they did and their accomplishments. And I think that the golf in particular players in this day and age, they're always, their success is always based upon players that came before them and building on that and comparing Obviously, Tiger Woods compared himself to Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas compared himself to Bobby Jones, mm-hmm. and and that that link and that lineage, I think, will no matter how much the sport grows, it will always be there. And I think too is particularly the kind of, of of person who who's attracted to golf and who's plays golf. Um, you know, you get a lot of people who are really well read, really interested in history. Really, r- rarely do you get people who get into golf and just like to go out and, and play and that's it. Once they kind of get into it and get that bug and get attracted to it, you know, they're kind of all in on, on every level. With, you know, mm-hmm. learning about the equipment and learning about the swing and watching on TV. And a part of it is learning about the past and learning about this rich history that the game has. And I think that'll, uh, I'm hopeful that that'll continue for, for years to come. And the other correlation too, between golf and baseball, I didn't realize is Vin Scully was doing the play by play for that 1975 television coverage of the 75 masters. I didn't realize I didn't remember because I was too young in 75 to, to <laughs> that. but uh, that's 
and and I'm sure he did a wonderful job because he was just he, he was masterful at everything he did. But he, uh, he he was masterful with words and masterful with you know with, with moments. And if you get to obviously the one of the great things now, it, it, Augusta National has gone back and put all of those masters on on YouTube, so you can just just go to YouTube and and type in 1975 masters and it'll come up and you can and you can hear him. And one of the great things that he one of the privileges that I had in doing that book and writing that book and all the interviews was interviewing Ben Scully yeah. and to hear him, you know, say to you, you know, Cincinnati, <laughs> you know, was a, was a highlight. And, uh, and one of those, he said, you know, that's, he was very mindful of those moments. And when it got to that, those last putts on that final green uh, for Johnny Miller and Tom Weisskopf, you know, he said the best thing that he could do, is he just took that microphone and turned it up, you know, up above his up above his forehead, so he couldn't couldn't talk. Yeah. Just let the moment play and let it breathe. And that's a lot of announcers, you know, try that. Uh, the better ones succeed. The the ones that kind of aren't as good uh, don't. But he was um, he w- was masterful at, at everything he did. Uh, and golf being one of them, but CBS, and then obviously later went on to. Uh, to broadcast golf at, at NBC, and that's and you talk about linking back in history, Neil. I think that's one of the the other things golf's been been very fortunate over the years. And and let's face it, we you got three huge golf fans right talking to each other right now. Okay. But let's be realistic. Golf is still, if you compare it to a lot of the other sports, from a spectator standpoint, it, it's a niche sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not it's not you you could argue maybe in the public eye that it's a lesser sport than it was in 1975 with with the the attention it gets from a mainstream level of course i don't know what mainstream is anymore right because <laughs> not a lot of newspapers and everything is is, is is so spread out but um but it's been fortunate over the years the voices of golf have been the biggest names in broadcasting mm-hmm. you know i mean from vin scully uh, to pat summerall to Jim Nance at CBS, mm-hmm. you know, at NBC, we had Vin Scully, you had Dick Enberg, got Dan Hicks, you know, ABC going back with, you know, with, with Chris Schinkel and Jim McKay and Mike Tirico. I mean, these are the biggest, the biggest. These are the guys that also call Olympics and Super Bowls and Final Fours and World yeah. Series. And you, you don't see that with, with a lot of the other, the other sports. Even tennis is kind of, you could argue, it has been lessened a little bit and, and not criticizing anybody who announces tennis in this day and age, but you don't have that superstar announcer play by play guy doing, doing a lot of these other sports, you know, even, you know, the great, another great hockey announcers and NBC had Doc Emmerich, but you don't get this crossover and there's still this crossover with golf. And I think that helps carry on this history because all those people are golfers and all of them get the history and love the history like you know like Jim and and Dan do and constantly weaving it into uh to stories and into their broadcasts. So um that that's been a huge boon uh for golf uh over the course of its uh of its history on, on network television. Our guest is Gil Caps here on the approach shot and uh, we recently had another historic uh golf event that i understand you were at when we come back we're all going to talk about that just a little bit too we are the approach shot hang out with us we will come right back you know where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on that's why i always tell people to put your money down at my bookie 
The Arizona Cardinals have come out to a hot start. The Kansas City Chiefs have as many losses as they did all of last year. And with all the overs hitting in the dying seconds of a game, there has never been a better time to get in on the action. Now, thankfully, my bookie's lock of the season has returned for the Las Vegas-Seattle NHL opening night game. And when either team scores in the game, you win. Yeah, you heard right. When the lamp lights red, you get to bread. Take the sure win and then use your winnings toward your NFL pick for week six which includes a battle between two potential Super Bowl contenders when the Cardinals meet the Browns. Don't miss out on a winning season. Head to mybookie.ag, not .com or .net, but .ag, and use my promo code GOLFGUYS, and you'll get double your first deposit. That's promo code GOLFGUYS with no spaces, so you can double your funds to double your winnings. And don't forget the lock of the season in the Vegas-Seattle NHL opening night game. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. It is us, the approach shot, John Ashton, Neil Michaels, Hello. all of us together just talking about golf because we love it and some of us know more about it than others, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, John, Gil has been in the broadcast booth sitting sometimes literally right between the announcers for what, 24 years now you've been on site, Gil? Uh, it, it's, we don't have to talk years or ages here. Do we? <laughs> let's here. Let's let's, let's put it in perspective. Three times where the cicadas came out. <laughs> and it's been it's been quite a while, and and between some some amazing announcers over the years. Uh, I I've been look really fortunate. You know I um. I, I got into this business, um, you know, by, I won't say by accident, but it wasn't I- intentional. Um, you know, we, we just had the Ryder Cup recently, and the Ryder Cup is, uh, I, I'll call it my mistress. You know, that is, that's my, 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 my love, you know, other than my family. Last, uh, last month, it was my 16th uh, Ryder Cup that I've been to. And when I got out of college, I started a regional golf publication in North Carolina. And my goal uh, in 1993 was to get back to another Ryder Cup, but I kind of wanted to find a way to help defray some of my expenses to go back over to to England to uh, attend it. And I had read in my college uh, alum, um, alumni magazine about a uh, a fellow uh, alumnus who had worked uh, for NBC and done Olympics. And I thought, well, you know what? NBC is broadcasting the Ryder Cup. Um, I'm going to reach out to her and see if she has any contacts at NBC. Maybe they can use some help over there. So I can help to pay some expenses, get over there, write some stories from my magazine, and just get back to what I thought at the time and still do. It's just not not even the, the best golf event. It's the best event in sports. Mm-hmm. So she gave me a name, who gave me a name, who gave me a name, and I get in contact with this uh, gentleman called Lou Serafin, and Lou's in charge of all the scores and spotters. He's like, yeah, we can use somebody. Yeah, come on over. This is what we'll, you know, we'll, we'll pay you. We'll pay you. We'll travel you, but um, you know, we can pay you for the week and you'll be walking inside the ropes and, you know, being a spotter, a score for our broadcast. This is, per- this is perfect. You know, and I, I took it together. I got there in fall of matches like I'd had the previous two right But I'm you know, inside the ropes. I'm so excited. And about a week before I go over, he calls me back. He says, you know, we were thinking, you know, because we also are going to need somebody up in the tower. 
with our announcers doing uh, their scoreboards and doing their spotting for them. And since since you're going over with this and you have this, uh, you know, background in golf and you're, you know, have a magazine, that you'd be perfect for that. Mm-hmm. And there was probably a pregnant pause. It probably, it, it was probably only a few seconds. I don't know to him, it may have felt like 30 seconds, but it went through my mind like, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> I don't get to walk inside the ropes with the watch the actual the plays. You're gonna stick me up there like a I no. <laughs> but that's not what I said. I said, it's whatever you I'm happy to help out, whatever you need. So with a tinge of disappointment, I go over there uh and I sit up in the tower with the first uh day at that time was on USA with uh Bill McAtee, who I went on to work with for uh many years and became a good friend and uh and I think Peter Costas would have been in that booth for USA that day as well. Then on the weekend, NBC, uh, Jim Lampley and uh, and Johnny Miller. And so the rest after that is uh, is somewhat history. It didn't kind of lead right into um, um, into what I what I do now, but uh, but but it um, but it's been a great ride, and I'm thankful that that Lou asked me to go to the tower or told me to go to the tower because if not you never know what what would have happened but but all these years later Neil I mean I've tried to count them up you know it's it's not just uh obviously NBC who I've worked in that main announce booth um you know a full-time yep for almost two and a half two and a half decades um you know while I was freelance I've worked for a lot of other um um broadcasters and a lot of other booths and and a lot even through NBC with cable partners are circulated through more than 70 different announcers I've worked with um, in that main main booth. And that's a lot of the uh, a lot of the greats. You're, you're exactly right. From uh, that we mentioned before, from from Dick Enberg to uh, uh, to Johnny Miller, to Mike Tirico, to, to Dan Hicks, who probably I have the, 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 the closest relationship and have worked with the most, but, uh, but it's kind of, it goes back and it starts with somebody like, like a Dick Enberg. When you get to work with somebody like that for, for a few years, um, a guy who is this, this hall of famer, you know, all-star Mount Rushmore of, of yeah. sports broadcasting and yeah. to sit by his side and learn you know, just by, by watching and observing how he calls uh, sports. And he was a master storyteller and weaving in stories while at the same time, right, giving you that that sense of what was happening and that, that play by play and and something which I think you know Dan Hicks has obviously picked up on and and continues in his in his own way. But um uh privileged and grateful uh to, to be up there with with not for all the moments, right, but uh with all those all those all time greats. Yeah. Like you say the the best announcers for the, the best all around sports announcers have all done golf. Um, whether it's because they're fans or most of them play, but just, just the guys, they are all so smooth and, and so knowledgeable and it's just so easy to listen to. Yeah. Um, but what, what was your takeaway from, uh, from this year's Ryder cup, man? Uh, I was uh, surprised and not surprised at the result. Um, you know, it's if you're you're an American, and obviously we all want to want to see the Americans do well, uh, and obviously we want to see them win a lot because they haven't won a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, even though on a broadcast like that, look, we, we try to be very 
uh, unbiased and it's really down the middle. And uh, as our producer, Tommy Roy likes to say, you know, there are no, there are no we's and they's. It's, you know, it's the U.S. and it's the Europeans. Um, so deep down, you're kind of pulling for a U.S. win because they need it. You know, they, they really they really did need it. Uh, nine to 19, I didn't really see see that coming. Uh, my takeaway in the end was um, that was the most prepared U.S. team I think I've ever seen. And that was something I think that we, that we the U.S., uh, has constantly gotten beat in, in that department yeah. uh, over the last three decades. Europeans always seem to be be more prepared. They seem to have a game plan. They seem to have gone over every nook and cranny of what uh, could happen. Uh, they have plans for their plans for their plans for their plans. And the U.S. a lot of times hasn't seemed like that's been the case. Um, and, and I think Steve Stricker knew that. Um, getting all those guys together uh, two weeks before up there for, for a few days was was really vital. I think that's where, in essence, where they won this Ryder Cup. And, and you know, the Europeans, um, I think going in, they, they had a lot of experience, obviously. And winning, as we've seen, breeds winning. You know, when you have a team going in there where you have, uh, I think they had, what, eight players or eight eight players who had been on winning European teams to combine like 28 times. Mm-hmm. And the United States, just three players who've been on one team each. <laughs> winning breeds winning and losing kind of breeds losing it. It's hard to get out of that rut. And, um, and the European team has been so successful, so successful when they've won the cup retaining it the next time. You know, one of the stats that when you do these shows and live golf is is, is so different than, than studio golf or the ability you have now on social media or web programs or whatever to just to get all your facts you want to have or your little nuggets and you can just get them all out there. You know, we're beholden to the action. We're beholden to what you're watching. So we can't get everything in. But the one stat that was paramount this week was prior to prior to that week, it had been since 1950. Since the U.S. had won the cup after losing it the previous time, wow. so basically we're at a, a bounce back, right? Yeah, they, they lose they lose the cup, and then the next Ryder Cup, what happens? Every other time, Europe had won, so they go on a winning streak. But this time, the U.S. was able to to get that bounce back right away, stop it, and uh, and I Rome will be different. I think we we're all looking at the U.S. team and. And, and looking at all that youth and all that success. But two years is a long time in golf. You know, the European team this year, virtually every player on it had gone down in the world rankings from the start of the year. And one of the fears going into the week of their team and some of the captain's picks was that age. You know, age in the Ryder Cup in this period, this kind of modern era, it doesn't doesn't bode well if you're if you're an old an old guy, and going into the singles right, they had four players over forty, and Sergio got the team with John Rahm and was very successful. But those other three guys, Casey Poulter and uh, Westwood, uh, they were over going into singles, and that was that was a big difference. Their their veteran guys really didn't come to play and didn't really contribute, and and they're gonna they're gonna have to find a, a little little more young uh, young blood for Rome in two years, but as I said, two years is a long time in, in golf and especially in the Ryder Cup. 
you know, a lot of things can happen. I, I'm in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, um, and and uh, Paul Azinger is still considered a god here in town because of the Ryder Cup in 2008. Um, I would just say that was the only Ryder Cup I've ever been to. It is so much better than going to a regular golf tournament because I've been to many of those. This was just the excitement level, the the crowd reactions. If you get a chance to go to a Ryder Cup, go. Okay, so it's, so John, you know you just set up my soapbox, didn't you? I did. You you did it. <laughs> Gil, the one thing that John and I have talked about that makes me want to bash my head against the wall is the stupidity and ignorance that seems to come from the crowds. It, it on the backswing you hear people start to yell, "Get the hole!" and you know, when when the US wins a hole or ties a hole USA USA almost as if they're they're degrading the Europeans now I get enthusiasm and I want an enthusiastic crowd but this is golf it's supposed to be a gentleman's game we're not supposed to rub people's face in it I certainly don't need to hear the idiots in the crowd yell get in the hole before the guy even strikes the ball is there first of all you were on site did you feel that and second of all is there something we could do to make these people behave shut themselves up. a little bit yeah shut up would be good but at least like act like you're like you're at a golf tournament not like you're at a club you know it, it's we've had Ryder cups that fans have crossed the line um I, I i don't disagree with you whatsoever in that neil um whistling straights you know we were actually our main booth was out by 14. So it was literally, it seemed like sometimes we were three states away from the action. So, <laughs> but, 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 but just from, from our walkers and people on the ground, um, I, I thought all in all, the crowds were pretty well behaved. You, mm. you had, you had some here and there, you know, that's the thing when you have, when you have 40 to 50,000 people out there every day, right. All it takes is, you know, 10 to 20 to make, right. To make them yeah. make it look bad because, you yeah. know, and, and, and I think this time around the players were aware of it. The PGA of America was, was aware of it. You know, we, you had, you had American players who were pointing people out in the crowd, you know, don't, don't do that. Or pointing people out of security. That person needs to go, um, which you weren't getting a lot of that in past years. You know, it, the worst I think that I've that I've seen or heard was in, in you know of all places right was in Minnesota you know those <laughs> all those nice Minnesotans um, bastion of crazy in, people two thousand sixteen exactly it it it, it, it was it, it was really out of control uh, at times it, it gets enthusiastic over in Europe as well but you're right it's a different. And I just say they haven't been instances where they've had people say certain things that they were inappropriate or, or, or get kicked out of the Ryder Cup. But 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 it's funny. I, I think some of that's just the maybe the American sports fan. I, I think maybe the people, you know, maybe in the United States, we get more people out to this Ryder, especially as it's become more of an event. You know, it's not just mm. – a right. golf event. It's a sporting event. It's a lot of people going out to the Ryder Cup, you know, who don't even go to major golf events, you know, let alone normal golf events and, and bringing that 
um, that that enthusiasm or that type of cheering that you would that you would find at an NFL game or a, or an NBA game. Um, not that you don't find if you've ever been to a European soccer uh, soccer match. You know, let me tell you, it can be absolutely. You will hear things there that will make you know things you hear at an NFL game seem like it's Sunday school. Well, let me, um, let me, let me so it's not like you don't get that there, but maybe there. But I think maybe it's you know, once again, all you need is just a few to make to make it make it bad. So it's hard to generalize. It's hard to generalize fans in in certain you know parts of of the country or certain you know parts of the world. But it it, it is a little. You're, you're right, Neil. It's a little more of an edge at these Ryder Cups here in the United States um, with the American fans. But I tell you what, I'll, I'll take that and trying to call that down from where this thing was 40 and 50 years ago, which was, um, I don't even know if I'd call it an exhibition. Yeah. You know, it really was just uh, just just like a, a little garden tea yeah. party. That um, Let me expand on what you said, though, about the, the Europeans and the soccer match. You want to know how the Europeans really act. Maybe they don't scream in front of the cameras and they don't scream in front of the microphones. But if you have a chance to go to a Ryder Cup in anywhere in the United States, some evening during the competition, go to an Irish pub <laughs> where the European fans that are there are hanging out, and yeah. you will get the true flavor of how the European fans react to the Ryder Cup. Okay, we've got a whole lot of questions, uh, but we've boiled them down to six. It's a six pack for Gil Cats. You know, and and and, and I th- I think you know, what real quick I was going to say. I don't think it's just a Ryder Cup issue, too, because we've seen issues now at normal golf events and in major championships where, for the most part, the crowd's great, but it's just a handful of people now. And it's going to be interesting going forward as you get different, you know, people out there, non-golfers. You have a betting element now into the game. Um, you know, it, it's certainly something I think that all of the organizations need to have their, their, their finger on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, in, in the crowd um, in, to take take care of that and be aware of it. Our six-pack for Gil Katz is next. Hey, it's Neil. And with cooler weather here, you may be playing even more golf. So it's even more important to keep properly hydrated since you don't sweat as much in cooler weather. Here's what I do. I mix one stick of liquid IV in some water and I hydrate faster and more efficiently than drinking water alone. In fact, mixing liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates your body the same as if you were drinking 48 ounces. And who wants to drink 48 ounces of water? Not only that, but liquid IV tastes great with flavors like strawberry, lemon, lime, and my favorite, watermelon. Try incorporating liquid IV in your daily routine, like first thing in the morning or before a workout. It makes for a great hangover cure, too. Just saying, John. Grab some liquid IV in choice of flavors nationwide at Walmart, or get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code APPROACH at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order and start getting better hydration today at liquidiv.com. But you have to use the promo code APPROACH to get the 25% off. Liquidiv.com. Make your water work harder. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. 
Eric Sildenafil allows you to save up to $650 on Viagra. Why pay name brand prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get the same results for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 50 generic Sildenafil pills for just $99. Call 800-590-0443. That's 800-590-0443. Again, 800-590-0443. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Six in-depth, deeply researched, poignant questions. That's what's happening right now. From that is what's happening right now. Look, can, can you feel it, Gil? The, your, your chair starting to warm up. It's getting to be the hot seat. You, <laughs> This is this is going to be intense. You get we're we're going to fire six questions at you. We want the first thing that comes to mind. No thinking about it. Just let us know the first thing. You ready? My knees, my knees are shaking. <laughs> As they should be. Darn it. That's right. <laughs> Question one. Aside from your mit- mistress and aside from the 1975 Masters, which you cannot use to answer this question, what one event did you enjoy covering the most? Wow. You know, people ask this, I usually say any Ryder Cup. Um, when you boil it down, though, it's got to be 99. You know, I, I don't think there'll be anything anything like that 1999 Ryder Cup at the Country Club at Brookline. Um, you know, everything that was going on that week uh, with the U.S. team, with our broadcast, with the comeback, with Justin's putt, you're talking about a, a crowd that was – probably was over the edge, but just uh, electric. You know, that's one of the few times I can remember, uh, guys, we we were in a tower that was just left kind of of, of 18 green, and it was a, one of our higher towers. But it was, was probably the most wobbly tower I've ever been in, and that tower was <laughs> shaking constantly on on Sunday. Now, if, if I was saying from the year, if, if I was a European, you're talking to me, you know, I'd probably say, you know, 2012, right? Because that was the opposite. You okay. know, the Europeans came back from the same amount at Medina. And, and that, but that was probably, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't what you wanted as an American. But I'll say that was one of probably the best shows, I think, that we've done since I've been at NBC. Just being on top of everything. There were no hiccups. And that's hard to do in live golf. You know, that's one of the things you never have a perfect show. And I'm not saying that was a perfect show, but it was pretty close, close to it. And and dissecting uh, and explaining and documenting that European comeback with all of the things that are happening and and the shots from our producer and director and everything. So, but but 1999 Ryder Cup, I'll 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 go with that as you go with that one. Number one, even though there's there are a lot of one A's and one B's, and <laughs> but that, that's why we say one. You, you <laughs> stick to this. This is a hot seat, man. You get one. <laughs> All right. Question two: Living or dead, who would you most want to have a beer and talk either sports or sports broadcasting with? Wow. 
living or dad talk sports broadcasting? Well, you know, probably if, if you're having a beer and you, you want to have a few beers, right? I, I guess, uh, you know, to get get loose and get and get real stories. You know, I, Frank Turkinney and I guess would be would be mine. You know, he was before I kind of got into right at the end when I got into the television um, business. So I didn't uh, ever get a chance to work with them. I never even even met him. Um, he would be one I would love to have a beer with and sit down and just, especially if you can get the whole truth, right? Everything that, right. that his career and the things that he did and the things that he uh, went through with different, you know, organizations. I'm sure he had his his moments and his, um, um, you know, I hate to say battles, but, but but little skirmishes, right, with organizing bodies and the tour and Augusta National and and other people he worked with. But he was um, he was all about the product, and I, I think that's one of the things I, I admire about the really great producers who are usually the ones that make who, who, who get to that really top echelon. You know, and I've been lucky in NBC on our golf broadcast to work with Tommy Rory, who's, um, you know, has all the acclaim and former executive producer and multiple Emmys and uh, all that stuff, which is great. But the biggest compliment I can give him is, you know, it's, it's all about the show and nothing else matters. And it's always been that way. It doesn't matter what show it is. It can be final round of the U.S. Open. It can be the first round of the father-son challenge. Everything is, gets treated the same. And I think that's why he's on such a, an exalted level, um, you know, in, in not just golf production, but sports production, and why Frank Trichinian was as well, and why Frank Trichinian is in the Hall of Fame. It was all about those those shows. So I'd love to, to sit and have a beer with him and just, pick his brain um, and hear those, those deep down stories, some of which maybe he's never, never even told. <laughs> those are the best. Those are the absolute best. Question three. We're going to use the fact that uh, your resume says you're an associate producer, but if you could be an associate producer or basically work any non-golf event, what would it be? Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I probably growing up would have been uh, would have been basketball. It would have been probably right a Final Four, an ACC tournament up in North Carolina, and you know, I that was my first love growing up and played basketball all the time competitively. I never never played golf competitively. It was always recreational. I got a little more into it in college. Um, uh, this day and age, though, I I would have to say. Um, you know, going back to what John we we talked about a little bit, I would maybe pick a World Cup. Mm. I think that would be loads of fun to work on. Um, if you had one event, now if you had, you know, I, I think all the European soccer is is great and love to, you know, that would be a dream to move to Europe and like go around. But if you're talking about an event, you know, I mean that's the you know the most watched the most passionate the most cared about event in the world mm -hmm. and so um uh, doing one of those would be that'd be a blast at some point if i could do that excellent excellent question four the approach shot genie who's around somewhere this is my magic wand uh grants you one wish play a round of golf with anyone in history win another emmy 
or have your book, The Magnificent Masters, become a New York Times bestseller? You get to pick one. Which would it be? I, I thought you were going to say play. Uh, get to play around a golf with you two somewhere. Um, <laughs> I but, wouldn't put that on there because I know it never gets picked. Well, it, well, it would depend on where it was. That <laughs> 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 actually could I could go to the top of the list, but depending on the venue. Um, <laughs> these are tough questions because, right? You number one, you were talking New York Times bestseller, and we're talking uh, making a little more money than I than I did off the Magnificent Masters. Uh, playing golf with someone or, uh, or winning, you know, Emmys are, are nice, but look, they don't, um, especially the Emmys, they, they mainly signify as one, as one of my friends, you know, put it solidly, they just meant that you worked on a big show at some time, mm-hmm. you know, they don't signify what was the best broadcast, you know, because some of the better broadcasts that we've had, the best broadcast have been some of the, the worst God awful events, you know, those are the challenging ones, right? To make a great broadcast something that's you're not watching that's going to be remembered or great as, as a great as a great event. Um, you know, but I don't know. I it, maybe it, it's the memory of playing golf with with somebody. Um, you know, somewhere. I mean, obviously, anytime you get to play with your your dad and my dad's still still living. Um, you know, would 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 be a be a blast and include you know two other people from history. You know, and That'd be a long list. Whether you pick a pick a Bobby Jones or a Jack Nicholas or a uh, you know somebody like somebody even going back like like a Tom Orsiner would be fascinating to play with. So I think maybe it would be it would be that play, having that memory playing golf with with a foursome like that somewhere um, you know somewhere historic um, would be uh, would be a wonderful wonderful memory. And I'd uh, that'd be what I'd take from your genie. I think I think. John is booking your uh, your round at French Lake as we speak. <laughs> Question five. You have mentioned a lot of the best announcers in the history of not only golf, but of sports broadcasting. Which one announcer that you worked with was your favorite? And then which was your least favorite? And is there a story that goes with it? Well, that's not fair. Uh, I know. That's why it's a hot seat, Gil. You know, I, I, I can... I, I can I, I, I can lie to you and make up, you know, like uh, Red Barber was my favorite, um, you know, back in the day, but, but I'm not going to do that to you. Look, I, I think I'm so fortunate that there've been so many more people I've worked with in those booths who, who I liked than than I didn't like. Um, you know, I, I won't say that, um, you know, especially on the NBC side, working primarily with Dick Enberg and now I've worked with Dan Hicks for, you know, even before Dan got in the main booth, I still worked with him. But Dan has has been in that main booth now for, geez, this is 22 years. So when you work with somebody that long and on such big shows, you know, it's, um, you know, you, you get, you, you, you develop a relationship and a working relationship and a personal relationship uh, and a rapport and um, an ability to, to, to sit by somebody's side and, you know, you, you almost, I think anybody can probably tell you this, they've worked with somebody for a long time or long time partner. I think that's one of the reasons our whole crew is successful because you have a lot of people on that crew announcers and, and people in the truck with Tommy Roy and Tom Randolph, who's the co-producer who've been together for decades. And, and, and you know what that other person is thinking and, you know, 
you're already thinking three steps ahead um, of of um, of that person. I think you know it's, it worked a lot with Bill McEntee as well and got that kind of relationship. But but when you get that, you know, it, it's it, it's special and you really feel like you know you're you're working as a team, working as as not just as an individual, but but contributing to um, to everybody. And so um, so when you ask that kind of question. You know, there are lots of other people I really like and people I've worked with. But when you when you with somebody that long and somebody who's that good, too, because I think that's, you know, I, I think, you know, I'll get in my soapbox here. While there have been so many great ones and and I've had the honor of working with Jim Nance before, too, uh, uh, offhand on, on an occasion. And he's just one of the Hall of Famer. Tremendous. But I think Dan is so underrated in his golf broadcasting. And I think. I would argue he's he's the best that's ever done that because he has the the ability I think to tell stories, the ability to put into context what you're seeing, and and and, and take everything full circle during during a show. Combining that with still being on his A game and whip smart and being able to get to everywhere you need to go because that's one of the things with golf you don't realize. At home it may be the slowest sport. To watch, you may think, "Oh, this is so slow," but but on a production, when you're having to choose where you're going and you have all these balls in the air on this huge golf course, and you're sitting in the tower and you're not seeing anything live, you're seeing everything off a program monitor, and trusting a producer telling you where to go, that's hard. Mm. It's really, really hard to do it well and to do it clean, and then worry about all the other stuff too. And so. Um, uh, and I just think Dan has grown into the best at that. Can I, I say that you, you dodged the least favorite? I was going to say, can I say one thing, though, before he gets to that? Because he does, we're not going to make him incriminate himself, man. Come on. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> that, is the, that is the most in-depth non-answer we've ever had to a question. Uh, no, he said Dan Hicks after all of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, with, 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 with the caveat. Okay. Um, you know, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, and I'll, I can't even know his name. He was he was a Golf Channel announcer, and, and he's not, he hadn't been a Golf Channel in ages. And this would have been late nineties when we had a we were doing it was a cable day somewhere I want to say maybe it was in Reno with the old Reno tile open. And and he said to me, as I was sitting there, you know, doing all his information, doing his boards and everything, and he said somewhere along the lines of, Yeah, you know, we had a a, a girl at a golf channel doing this, you know, too would do the, she would do it this way though. And if you could do it that way and, you know, yeah, yeah. She finally, you know, she was a year and she finally, you know, moved on out of this job, you know, out of that job was it's, it's pretty dead end. How many years you've been doing this? Yeah. You, uh-huh. you may want to think about, you know, doing something, something uh-huh. else or getting out of this. It's not, you know, it's not real, you know, you, you got no future in this. So here I am, whatever it is now, 21 years later. That's what, that's, that's what my wife says about me doing podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. D- question six. And we ask this to everybody who comes on the show, Gil, since we are the approach shot in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? Wow. Um, all right. First thing that comes to my mind, but but this isn't necessarily what I live by, but it goes off of what the story I just told was. <laughs> I, there used to be, I remember going 
years ago, obviously, I used to, to, to own and publish a regional golf publication in the Charlotte area when I got out of college. And don't know if you remember the name, Tom Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Tom was a, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, maybe the number one sales guru in the United States. Um, the Was the art of selling or how to master the art of selling was, I mean, he probably sold millions and millions of copies of this book and did those seminars, you know, uh, everywhere. And so obviously one of those, he came to Charlotte and I did a seminar to see if I could be a little better salesperson or help my salespeople. They're helping me uh, make a little money on this uh, selling or advertising for a magazine. And I'll never forget, he gave a, uh, as part of the, one of these packages I bought, it was a, um, a little like a plat, like a hang tag, plastic hang tag that you're supposed to hang in your shower and every day you got in your shower and there are all these slogans on it, right? <laughs> well, I can't remember. Maybe I did hang up in the shower for a month or two or got mold on it. But it had one of my favorite quotes of all time on it. And what it said was, never take advice from anyone more messed up than you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so that takes me back thinking of that, that, that former golf now, uh, uh, employee in, in the late 90s, you know, who, looking at that tire probably thought, yeah, he's more messed up than I am. <laughs> so, uh, so that isn't the, the number one thing I live by, but it's certainly, I think, something that you, uh, it should, um, it should be. It's it 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 it, it, definitely, I tell my, you know, to, to my kids and, and anybody, I think, especially as you grow older, especially as I, you know, got to be in a, in, in a position for a little while there at the, creating the editorial research unit at Golf Channel um, and managing people, managing a team. And, um, you know, you you try to be a little more of a uh, – try to lead people and help them. And, and especially now you're I'm back freelance and, and other projects and thinking about things. And that's that's one of the things, right? You have to, to, you know, you talk to somebody and they told you something. Well, who was that? You know, think of their situation. What? Why did they tell you that? You know, what is their angle? Um, you know, that's why it's so important for everybody to have trusted confidence, you know, who, um, who maybe are a step up than you are, right? <laughs> and, and, and knowledge or an experience, somebody you can, you really trust when they tell you something, you know, you can take it and run with it. So, uh, so in some essence, yeah, I still, that's still always in the back of the mind, you know, who's, who's telling you this and, and how far are you going to. I think it makes perfect sense. Thing. Everybody should live like that. I think that's that's my favorite answer we've ever had. I, I know that there have been some really deep answers, some really thoughtful answers, some really sweet answers, some 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 really leadership driven answers. But never take advice from somebody more messed up than you. It might be most, my favorite. So the far. most practical advice that's we've right, exactly. <laughs> Credit to Tom Hopkins. There you go, Tom. I, I, don't, know that, I don't know that. I don't know that that was worth the one ninety nine for the whole uh, seminar, but. No, and you, he'll, you'll probably be getting a call from him that you got to pay him a royalty now. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe so. <laughs> Gil, you are off the hot seat. Well done. And Gil Caps, man, it has been such a pleasure talking to you and having you spend some time with us here on The Approach Shot. You guys were a blast. Thank you so much for having me, uh, John and Neil. You were, you were so kind. And as I uh, mentioned off camera before, before we came on, I, I wasn't sure if it was just you were, you were this kind or that desperate. But I know, <laughs> I, I know now that it was the former. So thank you so much. 
And, and remember that uh, that Gil's book is The Magnificent Masters, and you can pick it up still at Amazon or uh, if, if you can find it at a bookstore, but uh, definitely pick it up. It is uh, the, the 75 Masters is, is uh, one of the most memorable tournaments that of all time, and certainly because it's a Masters, it made it even bigger, and it's a terrific book, so go pick it up. Have current events affected the ability for you to pay your bills? Has your credit card debt overwhelmed you? Has your income decreased because you're working less or have you lost your job? Credit Guard of America may be able to help you find a solution to this problem. We offer a free no-obligation consultation to learn how you can cut your payments by up to half and potentially lower your interest down to zero. Credit Guard of America is an A-plus rated nonprofit company that will work on your behalf. Credit Guard of America is licensed in all 50 states and has counseled over 1 million consumers struggling with debt just like you. Let us help you analyze and prioritize your debt. Negotiate with your creditors to reduce interest and payments. Set up one affordable monthly payment and provide ongoing education and support. Call now for a free no-obligation consultation and learn how you can become debt-free. Call 800-613-7650. That's 800-613-7650. 800-613-7650. What are you going to take away from uh, the conversation with Gil? I am going to take away the fact that the 18th tower is on the 14th pole. (laughs) That just confused me. Yeah. Yeah. Why? (laughs) I don't understand. Hey, while I was back east, I I did it again. Mm -hmm. Darn it. I was uh, watching some football at a sports bar called Glory Days, which, by the way, if, if you're ever in the Baltimore, Washington area, is great. And I'm sitting around. I'm talking to a couple of guys, and I told them we had a podcast. And I told them that in the six-pack, a lot of times we'll ask, if you could play golf with anyone ever, who would it be? Right. And and we got the normal answers, Jack, Tiger, Arnie. And one guy just sort of waited and was just sitting there with like his finger on his chin. He was thinking about it. And he goes, Phil Mickelson which is an answer we've never gotten. No. Not in 40 podcasts. We haven't gotten Phil yet. And everybody kind of looked at him like, that's a great answer. Because Phil is as good as anybody who's ever played. He maybe hasn't won as many tournaments as Tiger or Jack, but he's as good a player. And he's made that kind of impact on the game. But it's his approachability, pardon the obvious approach shot pun, that Mm -hmm. makes him such a, a cool guy that people would want to play golf with or sit and have a beer with. And I thought that was interesting because I really, I had to think back. Nobody's ever said, Phil Bravo. Great answer. It's probably because not many people can afford to play golf with Phil Mickelson. <laughs> well, that's, that's why it comes up in the six pack where if you could play with anybody. Yeah. There, that's was, very there true. was a story that, uh, you know, they, they play practice rounds together before tournaments. Yeah, the, the pros do. He had a practice round. He was playing with I forget who the participants were, uh, but one of them was a rookie, and this was like his first or second ever PGA tournament. And Phil stumbled to the first tee, and he said, "Gentlemen, it was seven fifteen tee time." He said, "Gentlemen, I don't get up this early for anything less than twenty five hundred dollars." So that's what they were playing for in that okay. particular twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. But he was very cool because the, the rookie got a little scared and he looked and he said, don't worry about it. You can wait until your first win to pay me. 
Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we also know that Phil is one of those like Michael Jordan who doesn't have any problem making a bet or two on the course. Yeah. So the $2,500 is going to come out of that rookie one way or the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's, it's not a question. <laughs> right. I think that 2500 is probably going to cost him over five grand. <laughs> <laughs> All else I want to say is go Sox. Yeah. Thank you very much. Speaking of bets, had I bet on that, I would have lost a lot of money. I think the Sox are fun, but I didn't think they stood a snowball's chance in hell of beating Tampa. And uh, that's egg on my face right there. Oh, ye of little faith. Well done. That's that's a couple of New England references this show. So it's nice <laughs> that we got those out of the way. <laughs> oh, there'll be plenty more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. You can count on it. We have a, a few really fun guests lined up. Uh, we've got some some golf pros. We've got some professional drinkers. <laughs> yes, we do. Other than us. We're amateurs. Yes. <laughs> We're striving, but we have never been paid to drink. We have a guy coming on in another couple of weeks who his job is to drink and to create drinks. He is referred to as America's CEO. You may have seen him because he's on a lot of uh, the morning shows, ABC, Good Morning America. And CEO stands for Chief Entertainment Officer. Rough job. He's a piece of work. We've got him coming on in a couple of weeks. His name's Tim Laird. You want to keep your eyes and ears open for that. But other nice. than that, we just want to sit here and thank you for coming along and, and listening to the conversations with uh, all of the wonderful, stellar and luminary people who, for some reason, agree to come on and talk to us. <laughs> if you have somebody in mind you would like us to talk to or if you would like to be a guest because you have something to add, get in touch. What What is the, the Twitter thing they can get to you at, man? It's at the approach shot. And and if um, if we don't accept you as a guest, remember that's John Ashton. <laughs> Five, one, no. That's a, <laughs> I have never had veto power. Over <laughs> no, do, do get in touch with us at the approach shot on Twitter. Um, you can, of course, find us uh, on the web at, at, uh, at approachshot.net. Yeah, not no the approach shot.net because some yeehaw in the Antarctica is sitting there listening to our podcast going, <laughs> I got your the, I got your the right here. So, uh, so glad I can hear all the advertisers tuning out as we speak. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, we, we love to talk about golf. We love to play golf, but we love to talk about, cause we're better at talking about it than we are at playing it. But then who isn't? It's a wonderful game, but you got to remember, keep in mind at all times, the same people invented golf and called it a game, then invented bagpipes and called it music. And with everything going on in the world, please, please remember life is a gift. So go open it. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. You only want what's best for your baby. And so does BJ's. 
BJ's offers a variety of baby products that will take you from playtime to bath time to bedtime and beyond. Shop now through September 24th at BJ's for $3 off Johnson's, Aveeno, or Desitin baby products. Only the best will do when it comes to caring for your little ones and for parents, too. Give your baby that special care and save big at BJ's.